Well, good morning, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Sunday Morning. This is the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and I'm your host for this morning. I am in the studio as per usual, um, but as per usual also we've got a couple of guests. And uh, first of all, I would like to welcome our Queen of Garlic, Tomatoes and Herbs, Penny Woodward. Good morning, Penny. Aha, uh -huh. well. Okie dokie, Penny, we don't have you at the moment, so I'm not exactly sure why that is. Um, and I also um, hear Jane there, but um, Jane has, ah, oh, Penny has um, got herself on mute and so has Jane. So hopefully they will unmute themselves shortly. Let's have a look. Uh, no, they're saying that they don't. So I'm going to try something different right now. Um, so can you hear me now, Penny? I can hear you perfectly. Yes. Okay, so I, I can hear you too, Amy. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so I'm just having a, a little bit of technical um, problem here in the studio, so I've just done this a different way, um, but hopefully everyone can hear us okay. Um, yeah, so hopefully um, everyone can now hear us. So welcome to uh, Penny, and I'd also like to uh, welcome you properly, Jane. Uh, so we've got um, our ornamental bulb specialist, Jane Tonkin. So hi, Jane. Oh, that's an introduction. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, uh, good morning Penny. Uh, welcome morning. welcome to the show. Yeah, it's a, a little bit different this morning, isn't it, doing it this way? Yes, actually, it was chilly this morning. My car gave me a warning. It always always gives me a warning when it's um, a little bit too chilly outside. Um, so it was, I think, three degrees when I was driving in. But uh, yeah, and you're in your shed, Jane, and and Penny's working from yeah. her office. Yeah, it's, the it's the best spot for my Wi-Fi. So. Um... Yeah, that's yeah. where we're at at the moment with the hills. Yes, it's a whole new world, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> whole new Zooming world and we're all sort of uh, trying to get used to it and um, yeah. most of us are sort of almost there until there's a technical glitch like this morning. Not sure what happened there. Um, but anyway. Um, okay, so what's happening in your world, girls? Does anyone want to go first? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, okay. I'm, um, I've just been busily working from home as I always do. Um, so in some ways, you know, I'm not doing normal other things, but my work is always, I've always worked from home, apart from going out and doing talks and stuff like that. Um, relatively good. Um, and I, it's just, this season has just been so amazing for the garden and, uh, I am overwhelmed by weeds, but I'm also overwhelmed by the massive growth and how floriferous everything is at the moment. There are so many flowers out and there are so many of all those flowers that are out. Um, the insects are having a wonderful time and I have never seen so many birds. Ah, uh, oh, that's interesting, yeah. Which is just wonderful. So I, I, I'm hoping it's not that they've all had to move out of the bushfire areas and they've headed down to the coast or something like that. But, I, you know, I think it is just just that there's been a lot more rain, um, so a lot more growth. There's lot, lots of small birds, you know, just the numbers of small birds have been huge. So 
It's really very exciting. That is. The and advantages of working from home. <laughs> that's so true. Now, girls, I'm just going to quickly try something else technical. I think it might have been me that stuffed up here. So I'm just going to, hopefully we don't go to dead air. So just I'm just going to um, do that. So can you hear me now? Yes. Ah, yes. great. I can hear I you can both. Hear you yeah, okay. So hopefully that's sounding okay. Um, yeah, that was totally my fault. I, I had plugged it in, but I hadn't turned your microphone sound up. So apologies for that. Um, get there eventually. I'm, uh, I'm not trying to do your job, Abby. <laughs> there's there's a lot, really of, well. lot of levers here that you have to make sure is all okay. Yeah, Penny and I'll stick to working from home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so, Penny, did you have any damage there with with the st- with the storms? Um, we were we had no power for twenty four hours, mm-hmm. which was somewhat disconcerting. Seeing I had work, I should have been getting done, but um, so I had we had no internet or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we had a lot of damage, but not me personally. Oh, okay. So um, there was a lot of trees down on the foreshore which, um, you know, tracks blocked. Um, there were big branches on roads. Um, there are still some areas, you know, just a few kilometres away who still don't have power mm-hmm. 48 hours later. Yep. Um, so there's been a lot of damage in a lot of areas and, you know, areas that I've never seen affected by winds before mm. have been really badly affected. So, um, yes, it's there's been a lot of damage around. Mm. What about yourself, Jane? Um, yeah, Thursday night was a little windy, um, a few trees across the driveway and things, but um, I've walked a couple of the farm tracks so far and just branches and things, nothing like what happened to us on the in the hills on June 9, sort of. Um, but there's still a lot of trees down up the mountain as well. So like you're in the Dandenongs, Mount- aren't you? Yeah. yeah. So there's a few across Mount Dandenong Tourist Road and there's still a lot of the mountain that doesn't have power up here either, mm-hmm. all the way through to Mumbolk Emerald as well so um nowhere near as bad but if we hadn't had june 9 we'd all be sort of going oh that's it was terrible yeah yeah Um, but yeah i was just going to say i mean really in the last five years we've sort of never seen anything like the number of trees that have come down yeah it's It's all got to be to do with um climate change and stuff too ab like um conditions are changing whether people want to acknowledge that or not that they are and Um, I think, you know, there was a gentleman from the Weather Bureau on the radio the other day and he said that there's more of this to come, um, which is your sort of normal spring type thing. We get a lot of wind and hail and things like that, but it seems to be so much more intense, I think, is the is the issue. Um, and now people's safety comes into, um, you know, the forefront too. So Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think 10, 15 years ago when we were talking more and more about climate change uh, people were saying oh you know we'll we'll know if if climate change is actually real when we start seeing lots and lots of storms and you know weather events that we haven't seen before and now we're here and um, I, I think it really is very obvious that it um, is changing and we all I suppose need to play our own role in doing that but um i'm I'm actually one of these people who i'm very much a soapbox person jumping up and down about the government doing their bit because i feel like all of us um just normal society we're all playing our own good role in doing what we can do and every time um thing environmental issues fall down it all it's always to do at a government level and i just feel like we should have such 
a different change in policies at the top and allow it to filter down more into society. It would Get be leadership so nice and bravery. To, yeah, it would be so nice to have some inspired leadership on this. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it absolutely. We, we've would. had it from some of the states, but we we haven't have it, had it federally, and it yeah, you know, it just yeah. makes me despair. I can't wait to get out on the street and be able to start demonstrating again. Yeah, as soon yeah. as I can do that, as soon as a demonstration is organised, I will be out there because that's. I think Penny's asking for one. If yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be there, Penny. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys um look we've got a lot to chat about and we had a, a bit of a test run during the week so that was good and um i've got a, a lot of questions planned for you which i'm sure people would be interested to hear so we've got um, we're going to chat with jane about all things to do with ornamental bulbs we might nerd out a little bit about the difference in bulbs and some beginners tips to how to get them going as i put my hand up in the studio here big <laughs> beginner um and we're going to chat with penny also about her amazing areas of expertise in terms of garlic, tomatoes and herbs. There's a lot to chat about there. Um, but first of all, I know that you two will be very excited to hear that we have got some community announcements. Yay. Yay. So finally, the gardens are opening back up and uh, we can all do what we love. We can go out. We can be inspired by other people and all the different ways that they do things. So um, just bear with me. I'm going to work my way through some community announcements and then if you guys have any of your own, we can chat about those too. So first of all, uh, Open Gardens Victoria, they are very excited to be getting their program back on track now. And they have, to start off with, they have four open gardens, which are for next weekend, the 6th and the 7th of November. And all of these gardens are open from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on both days. They're $10 each or $6 for students and uh, six, under 16 are free. There's two in the Yarra Valley and two in the Gippsland area. And we are also giving away uh, two free garden passes. Sorry, when I say we, Open Gardens Victoria are giving away two free garden passes to the first four people to call through. So that's two um, for each garden. And uh, the first garden is in Coldstream. It's at 58 Boundary Road and it's called Ridgefield. Ridgefield is a country garden of about 1.2 hectares, bordering a vineyard with beautiful views in all directions. It was designed by Robert Boyle in 1997, and although the garden has evolved in response to the climate and the tastes of local wildlife, mm, that sounds a little bit dramatic, <laughs> um, hopefully it's still there, uh, the bones of the garden still bear his hallmark today. Elegant walkways lead down a terraced hillside, making the most of beautiful outlooks, yet providing sufficient windbreaks to afford the garden protection. So that's at 58 Boundary Road in Coldstream. And the second one, which is also the Yarra Valley, is at 37... Oh, I can never pronounce this. You guys might be able to help me. Gruyere Road in Gruyere. Gruyere. Yep. Gruyere. There we go. So it's G-R-U-Y-E-R-E, -E -E, Gruyere, and it's called Bentwood. 
This garden focuses on balancing privacy with outstanding views to Yarra Glen and the King Lake Ranges and aims to provide interest all year round. Recycled structures and sculptures add to the atmosphere of the garden. Tucked away in the paddock is a microflower farm in its infancy. You'll also find roses, perennial driveway borders, a cutting garden and use of interesting plants as hedges to give structure to the garden. And you were nodding, Jane. Have you been to that garden? No, I haven't, but it, it, it's um, it, the, the views and things from that area is fabulous. Stunning. So that, I, I'm nodding because that would be one I'd like to go to. <laughs> okay, yes. And, and, and nice. so can, I, can I ring in for my <laughs> For your free pass? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Better get on the phone quickly. Um, okay, so the next term reading are... Um, for the Gippsland area. The first one is at 136 Boysdale Street in Mafra. So that's B-O-I-S-D-A-L-E. And it's called Glenmore. Uh, tucked away behind a bed of natives and a tall white picket fence, Glenmore is a delightful surprise. It demonstrates how two enthusiastic gardeners can create separate gardens which complement each other's passion for different plants. Ah, that's interesting. I wonder if that's a um, husband and wife partnership or something like that when um, people are um, arguing for the amount of space that's in the garden and what's going to go in. Uh, hear, hear about that quite a lot. The garden works well as a cohesive design despite different styles and selection of plantings. An inspiring garden. Sounds gorgeous. And the second one is also in Mafra. It's at 5729 Mafra Trerelgan Road, and it's called Homely. The picturesque garden of Homely has stunning vistas to nearby mountains. Nestling beside the Serpentine Creek, <clears throat> excuse me, it is just outside Mafra in East Gippsland. Visitors are enticed down grassed pathways and invited to sit and admire the island bed of fragrant roses. Sounds good. With <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that. With over three acres of beautiful ornamental trees, rows of silver birches, lush emerald grass, and quaint seating areas, this idyllic garden complements the traditional home perfectly. So they're the four open gardens and um, if you wanted to call through for a double pass, uh, you can call us on 94190155 and Doug is there um, <coughs> waiting to take calls. Uh, so there's Ridgefield and Bentwood in the Yarra Valley and Glenmore and Homelea in Gippsland. And if you want to find out more about them, you can go to opengardensvictoria.org.au. Um, if you happen to win a double pass for them, uh, you'll be emailing um, Open Gardens Victoria and they'll, they'll give you a pass number for them. Okay, so Open Gardens Victoria, they also have some events coming up. Uh, the first one is on the 14th of November. It's called the Urban Garden Design Talk and Tour. And it's at 7 Barnett Street in Hyatt. There's four sessions, 10am, 11am, 1pm and 2pm. Each session goes for an hour and includes a 15-minute talk and a 45-minute garden tour. Learn how landscape designer Stephen Reed went about designing this lush, productive and beautiful urban garden from scratch. And that's a $30 entry fee for that one. 
Then on Thursday the 18th of November from 7.30pm to 8.30pm there's an online productive gardens workshop. Experienced food gardener Jian Lu grows over 80 varieties of fruit and countless heirloom veggies in her mm-hmm. backyard. She will share her story of how she created her backyard food forest. Jeanne is incredibly creative in her approach to gardening and she'll introduce you to her favourite weird and wonderful edibles that will thrive in your veggie patch. And that's a $15 to join that talk online. Can I, may I interrupt? Please, please interrupt. Jeanne Lou's been writing for Organic Gardener now for um, nearly 12 months and her articles are amazing. And if the insight that I've got to her garden through editing and and reading her articles it is well worth a visit so you know she has the the most recent issue she's actually um the one that's about to come out next week she's written all about growing your own sponges oh so, amazing um, the loofers growing loofer or luffer um <laughs> and how, to, how to make your own sponges from that and and it's quite tricky in cooler areas because it's a tropical plant, but she's got it down and she's growing them and she makes her own luffer and doesn't buy sponges anymore. Ah, so that's cool. Great. Um, you know, in, our, in this amazing world that we live in where we're learning to recycle and do all sorts of things differently, this is a really good one. So. For um, sure. Yeah, her, her place would be, I'd love to be able to go and see her garden. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully one day it'll be open, but for now we can just see it on the yeah. computer. Indeed. Yeah. So, so Penny, you say luffer. Luffer or loofer. Ah, it's yeah, spelled L-U-F-F-A or yep. L-O-O-F-A-H. Ah, so okay. So either or. pronounce the two things differently. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Names. All right. Okay. So the last one for the Open Gardens Victoria is the Western District Self-Drive Garden Tour. And this is through Darlington and Camperdown. It's on Sunday, the 21st of November from approximately 9.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Don't miss this chance to visit the Camperdown Botanical Gardens designed by William Guilfoyle and three magnificent Western District private gardens. Morning and afternoon tea and lunch are included in the tour and that's $190 for that tour. Uh, so for more tickets and oh, for tickets and for more information, go to opengardensvictoria.org.au. Okie dokie. And then on November the 20th and 21st, uh, we've got the Yarra Valley Plant Fair and Garden Expo. Um, This is the one that's being run by um, Clive and Di Larkman of the Herb and Chili Festival fame. And this one is at 125 Quail Road in Wandon, and Quail is spelt Q-U-A-Y-L-E. And um, they always put on a fabulous show, and there is a lot going on. Uh, Jane Edmondson is a special guest, and Vasily is a special guest. Um, There's going to be demonstrations of rose pruning, repotting, bulb division. There'll be talks about perennials, succulents, berries, edibles and tools. There's over 5,000 varieties of plants for sale, including orchids, uh, all sorts of fruit and veg and herbs, 
bamboo, natives, grasses, as well as bonsai. So lots going on. Uh, there's specialists um, that you can uh, <coughs> chat to about garden design, about setting up an irrigation system and about uh, getting some landscaping ideas. So lots going on there. Um, I expect there'll also be food and drink available um, knowing Clive and Di because they always put on a really good show. Uh, so that's the Yarra Valley Plant Fair and Garden Expo, November 20 and 21. Uh, oh, sorry, I should say you can go to, um, you, there's discounted tickets that are available online now and you just go to yarravalleyplantfair.com.au and um, you'll be directed to the relevant links for that for tickets. And um, you can do it yeah. So, say that again, Penny. Sorry, your Christmas shopping. Yes, yes, <laughs> Great idea. yes. You could. And do. just AB on on that plant for as well. I got the email the other day from um, Clive and Di saying that officially the government had given them the go ahead. So um, oh, that's, that's all right. They exciting. were waiting. Were they were waiting yeah, for that? Weren't so, they? Yeah. So it is official that they are allowed to hold it. Um, so yeah, get online and buy your tickets. Yeah. And as Penny said, yeah, great Christmas shopping. Do you know what? I think it's going to be absolutely jam-packed. I think we're all desperate, all us gardeners that have been um, doing our own thing for so long now. I think we're all just going to be going out into the wild world. So maybe maybe some patience when you get there if there's a bit of delay in parking and things like nah, that. No, stuff just, patience. Just... Everyone get out of my way. I'm coming in. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, though. Patient. Be patient. Yeah. Yep. Except a... um, make sure AB has a... Um, designated parking spot for her <laughs> that's right. if you're listening please. <laughs> yes Thank i've you. designated parking spot yeah patience yep. is not in my vocabulary don't know how to spell it <laughs> all right now this is one that i'm going to this is next weekend so this is the um rotary club of yay they're presenting the yay and district open gardens and yay plant sale uh, so november 6th and 7th all visitors must be double vaxxed uh, all COVID safe requirements are strictly adhered to, including the number of people per garden, um, which I know I think has gone up to about 30 people per garden at any one time. Uh, the gardens are open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's $5 per garden or $35 for a two-day pass to all gardens. And there's quite a lot of gardens. I think there's about 11 gardens or something like that. Um, a lot of gardens, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, the two-day passes are available at the Visitor Information Centre in Yay. Um, or you can, for more information, you can hop on to yayrotary.org.au or you can call 0431 and you'll find links to maps and um, the garden addresses online. So um, I'll be going to that on Sunday, which I'm very, very much looking forward to, seeing um, I think there's a few native gardens going on up there. So, yeah, so that's all the community announcements. Penny, I think you have one. Um. No. Oh, did, oh, did you want to talk I about? Do. Oh, okay, Jane, go for it. <laughs> um, I'm a part of the Fenny Creek Horticultural Society and they're having a massive plant sale and open garden. So the gardens at the Horticultural Society are amazing. 
Um, so that's held on Saturday the 6th of November mm-hmm. and it's from 9 till 3. Admission for members is free, so there's always an incentive to become a member of these sort of organisations. Um, otherwise, it's just a gold coin donation. And so it's a chance for the Horticultural Society to sell a large range of all their propagated um, plants and things that have they've been doing over the COVID period. So there is um, a wide range of fabulous plants and things that you'll be able to get. They're also encouraging people to bring their own picnic um, and have a picnic and wander around through the gardens. Um, So if anybody's interested in going along, it's just a gold coin donation. The address is, I will find in a minute, um, 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's on the 6th of November from 9 till 3. So um, come along and just have a nice day out. Damn, I'm working on Saturday. I, I love I love that garden. It's just so pretty and mm. they've done such a beautiful job with the oh, design. An amazing job. Yeah. yeah. And it's all, all volunteer-based and stuff too. So, you know, there's a lot of people that put in a, a great deal of effort and things and there'll be, there'll be lots of fabulous different plants that you can buy. Yeah. Awesome. So there's there's no excuses now. There, yeah. there really there's all no... these things on people. We can get out. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I think a lot of plant nurseries, including Karanga, where, where I work, and it's just absolutely fabulous to have um, people back wandering around the nursery, especially when everything's absolutely popping at the moment. But I have to say um, there's some sections of the nursery which are a little bit bare. Uh, the eucalypts, we're really down on, on eukes and, um, I mean, there's – heaps of other stock but it's been interesting to see because so many people have been buying even through lockdown they've been doing the click and collect and the delivery and uh, yeah it's just incredible to see the amount of stock that is going out and so these um, I suppose private plant sales are a fantastic way to be able to to stock up even more. So, yeah. yeah, very. And it's just a chance for people to nerd out on plants as we tend to say <laughs> on first year. Um, and catch up with like-minded people that want to talk about plants and things like that. So it's a great social event too. Yeah. But remember your social distancing. Yes, people, yes. Um, it's, it's just nice to reconnect. It is, yeah, for sure. I should let uh, listeners know that you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and I'm chatting uh, via Zoom with um, Penny Woodward, the queen of all things garlic, tomatoes and herbs, as well as many, many other things. And um, the uh, ornamental bulb specialist, Jane Tonkin. Uh, So I will invite listeners to call in. You'll be going through to Doug. Um, he's our producer for today. So you can call on 94190155. You can text us on 0488 809 855. Um, annoyingly, we can't see photos if you text us. So don't bother about sending us photos. But if you have a question or a garden comment or any comment, actually, and you just want to say good day, um, please text us through. Uh, during the week, uh, if you wanted to, feel free to email us and that way one of whoever's hosting can get to the emails beforehand and make sure that we um, read it out on air. It's uh, The email address is just the numeral 3, then cr.gardening at gmail.com. 
Uh, so the phone 94190155, the text line 0488809855. Uh, I'm A.B. Bishop and we're chatting with Jane Tonkin and Penny Woodward. Um, Penny, let's talk the um, gardening magazine. Um, can I just go, go back one step? You can go step. back 10 steps. I've got an <laughs> announcement that I wanted to make. Oh, you have, okay. Because I'm actually doing a talk for Sustainable Gardening Australia, which is a Zoom talk. Yep. So um, anyone can come along. Um, and it's on the 21st of November from 10.30 till 12. And it's all about using herbs for um, growing herbs and using them for cooking in medicine. So, mm. um, yeah, and it's uh, $25 early bird and $28 full price. So if anyone would like to um, listen um, online, they can and and look because there's lots of beautiful photos too. Um, it's sgaonline.org.au is oh, the website. Okay. Now, so, uh, when was that on again? Twenty first of November. Ah, oh, excellent. And and I. So that's a Sunday. Okay, great. And I've just um, added that to my list of things to chat to you about, uh, herbs for medicine. Um, yeah, I find that very interesting. So oh. we might have a chat about that. No um, all right. So, And what's happening with the mag, Penny? Okay. So the, I haven't been on um, 3CR for a while. Um, so I think, I mean, quite a few people haven't been on because they've been um, doing repeats until we started doing Zoom. But I just wanted to tell people about the current issue of um, Organic Gardener magazine. It is a really beautiful issue. The front cover is one of the most amazing covers. I'm just showing my co-panellists what it looks like so that they can Yum. see. <laughs> just um, really um, beautiful. We actually, it's covered in tomatoes and, and a range of really unusual and interesting tomatoes because we did the photo shoot for this in March. Mm -hmm. um, in one of it was just before a lockdown, so we only just we only just got it in. But um, at Cheryl McGuffin's place in Tyre, and um, she has a property called Daniel's Run, and it she grows the most amazing tomatoes I think I have ever seen. Unfortunately, it's not open to the public. She supplies chefs um, and uh, sometimes road, roadside stalls, but. She is not, she grows about 180 different tomatoes. Every single one has a cage around it. She does incredible preparation on the soil with green manures and fermentations that she collects from the bush and has rotting, has fermenting for six or eight months before she actually sprays it on to the green manure and it all goes back. It's just extraordinary. And you know, you know, last summer was a terrible year for tomatoes mm -hmm. for us um, because it was so cold and damp. And she had tomatoes all the way to July. My my tomato plants were well and truly dead by then. So you know, it, it just just amazing what she does. Um, one of the things that she does is to harvest all her tomatoes as they start to show colour, and she brings them inside. And she says that they taste better. And I have since read actually some research on that because they don't keep having water added to them. Ah. So when you put a tomato on a plant and you keep watering them, they, the flavour keeps getting diluted. Whereas if they're inside, there is no dilution. So the flavour is actually more intense. So I'm actually going to try experimenting with similar tomatoes and on that and see what happens. But the other thing is, it means you don't have to protect them from birds. Mm, or rats. 
Well, rats will eat green tomatoes. So when they're really hungry, it doesn't matter whether they're <laughs> ripe or not. So sometimes you still have to protect them from rats, but um, it does stop the birds from eating it. Um, and you don't have to put them in the sun. She actually does it in a in a partial light room. She has a whole room that is just for ripening vegetables. Imagine the smell would mm. be beautiful. Yes. Yeah, no, she says it is extraordinary. So anyway, I've written about Cheryl um, and mm. some of the other, and, and the photographs, all the tomato photographs, pretty or not quite all, but nearly all of them are the ones that Kirsten Bresciani, who's an amazing photographer, took of all these all these tomatoes. So the front cover, my article, and there's also an article on sourcing tomatoes. So S-A-U-C-I-N-G. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, <laughs> the best tomatoes for um, for making sauce from, and um, Helen McCarroll has done that one. And I'm just trying to find the list. So things like Amish paste and black from Tula, shore crop. Costa Genovese, German Johnson, Mamma Mia, Napoli, Roma, Super Roma, Rouge de Maman and San Marzano are some of the tomatoes. So they're often really quite big tomatoes and fluted with fluted colours and pear-shaped and just, um, just, just amazing. But they're the ones that have more flesh and less seed. Mm -hmm. so that they are perfect for making um, making all the all the different sauces. And we have two different recipes there, one for passata and one for tomato sauce. So um the and different ways of doing it. So so that's really good. Um we also have Eliza Henry Jones who is writing fairly often for us now. She's a she's an author of um fiction, mm -hmm. but she's also a gardener and has a flower farm up in the hills actually, up in, in your areas. Um and she's writing about flowers. So in this issue she's written about cosmos which is one of my favourite feathery plants um, that is really easy to grow. And um, Karen Sutherland's written about chocos mm -hmm. and growing them in the cooler climate and how good they are. I've also written about how to stop snails and slugs. And um, one of the things I love about writing gardening articles is that I do a lot of research into them. And I discovered in doing, I wanted to find out uh, about native snails. Mm. Because we have a huge number of native, some something like 3,000 species of native snails and slugs in Australia. But they don't do harm in our gardens. They just live in the environment. And they're really important to the environment because they break down leaf matter and they eat bacteria and they do all sorts of things. But what I discovered is that as well as ordinary snails, where the body goes back inside the shell um, if they want to retreat, and slugs, which we have orange ones and bright red ones and yellow ones with triangles on their back and all sorts of different slugs. I feel um, a book coming on, Penny. Someone's <laughs> already done that. Yeah. <laughs> we also have these things called semi-slugs. And um, they're called semi-slugs because they have shells and some of them are beautiful, intricate set shells. Think some seashells. Some of these semi-slugs have these gorgeous shells, but they're called semi-slugs because they can no longer fit inside their shells. Oh. Imagine going through life being called a semi-slug. <laughs> but look, there's an, there is an incredible, there's a guy called um, John Stanisic and he's written two books, Australian Land Snails, one in one, 
and a guide um, and a field guide to southern and, and volume two. So he's got two volumes of Australian land snails that include semi-slugs and slugs. Oh, uh, it, have you seen the books? Do they look like they you haven't seen them? Uh, hopefully they'd have really it's, good photos. It's a CSIRO publication. So, ah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, quite technical, but I just... We, we don't realise, we focus so much, and that's what this is what the article is mainly about, is about the slugs that do harm in our gardens and how to um, control them organically. So mm-hmm. lots, of, lots of solutions for that. But we don't realise what we have in our environment um, that we're losing because we're not looking after our forests and our environment properly. So... Um, there's all these amazing critters in our forests, like 3,000 slugs and semi-slugs and snails. Had no idea there were that many. That's quite incredible. Don't realise. So anyway, so and um, Dennis Crawford's done an amazing article about wasps. So And this is another group where we think wasps are terrible, but there are actually really incredible wasps that do really important things of, that are native wasps. Mm. So, European wasps that are terrible, and that's one species. Yeah. Hundreds of others coming into the garden that act as pollinators, that feed on pests, that do a whole range of other things. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of detail about that. And, um, yeah, the usual chooks and bees and um, other interesting things. So this issue is only available for another week. Mm -hmm. Okay comes out at the end of this week end of this upcoming week so if you want to get hold of it you probably need to go and get hold of it pretty quickly yeah so this is the organic gardener magazine yeah and uh which um issue is it penny gardener magazine it's it's issue number 128 which is what month is it october we (laughs) we produce eight issues a year Mm -hmm. so come out six to seven weeks apart so this one we're calling spring okay uh, it's, uh, yeah, so the next one is due out in November and goes through to mid-December. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. It should be easy to pick up with that beautiful front cover. Oh, yeah, masses of tomatoes. So they yeah. do have a bit of a problem because there's, there's another magazine called Organic Gardening and people mm-hmm. get confused. But this has the ABC logo on it. So as long as you see the ABC logo, because it's technically the ABC Organic Gardening magazine. Yep, yep, beautiful. Now I should also mention that um, the Gardening Australia magazine has got its 30th birthday um, this month in October and there's a 30th uh, birthday anniversary issue out now and um, it's just bursting with beautiful flowers on the cover, beautiful pink cover. And uh, I've been writing for the magazine for a number of years and uh, this year I also uh, joined the team as their Hort consultant, uh, which I've been having a lot of fun with. I I was a little bit... um, hesitant initially in terms of uh, the knowledge that I have on exotics compared to natives because of course I'm covering all things now but um, I've just found it so interesting it's opening up a new world to me very enjoyable I've got an article in the magazine about uh, growing asparagus and uh, yeah so there's uh, it it is surprising in a way um, that the Gardening magazines are still, they really are the sort of mainstays of of a lot of the publishing companies and just because people can't get enough gardening information, I think. 
I think it's one of the, I mean, there's not a lot of good things that have come out of COVID, but one of them is is people's interest in gardening. And I know that organic gardening sales have gone up and I'm sure gardening Australia sales. Yeah, yeah, they have, absolutely. Which is great because it's keeping us all in work. Yes, (laughs) exactly, exactly. All right, well, I'm going to give out the numbers again in case anybody has a gardening-related question, Um, either myself, A.B. Bishop, or Penny Woodward or Jane Tonkin can hopefully answer your questions uh, the number to call is 94190155 or you can text us on 0488 Okay, so now let's get to the bones. Come on Penny, let's start talking about garlic. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, other than it's yummy. Yes, yes. other than it's yummy. Yeah. Homegrown is so, so, so much better than um, imported garlic. And nobody should buy imported garlic because it's all treated with the toxic biocide methyl bromide. So let's throw that out there first. Why, um, why is it treated with that? It's, it's part of our customs um, rules to mm-hmm. stop diseases from being imported into Australia. So, you know, it's done for a good reason, but the problem is a lot of the imported garlic has been stored for quite a lot of time. Mm -hmm. It's been sprayed with sprout inhibitors to stop it from sprouting so Mm -hmm. that it can be stored. Um, And it just doesn't have the flavour that that our homegrown garlic does. Um, And and it's it's really relatively easy to grow it yourself. But... um, so, so if you can buy Australian garlic and now it's just the garlic growers are just starting harvest or in Queensland they've probably finished harvest because they usually harvest in September um, and the down here our garlic growers will be getting the garlic out of the ground sort of um, November, December is the usual harvest time. So you'll be starting to see fresh garlic or green garlic on mm-hmm. the market. Um, and then, you know, a few weeks later, you'll be starting to see cured garlic on the market. So, um, it, yeah, and and some of the home, the um, home, the Australian processed black garlic, um, you'll be seeing a little bit later because it takes a bit longer. And then you'll see smoked garlic. And and if you can um, either buy or do yourself home dried garlic, which is dried into flakes so that you can store it in jars that is really worth having as well um the dried garlic that you buy from overseas quite frankly is crap how do you flake it yourself uh, you just slice it i mean it's slow and tedious (laughs) but you slice it and you put it out on a rack and you dry it in the sun um and it dries within a day or so on a good day and then you put it in a jar and you save it and you have garlic flakes um, all year round whenever you want them yeah exactly I, I guess you could also buy if you don't grow it yourself you could also buy in bulk and mince it up and freeze it in little portions absolutely you can do that actually one of the best ways of storing garlic um out of season is a to um just you don't have to bother peeling it you do break it into cloves you just put it into snaplock bags in the freezer not so good used fresh but fantastic in cooking mm-hmm. And the freezing process helps you to get the skin off later anyway, so you don't need to, makes it much easier to skin the clove. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to mince it, you can mince it and add it to olive oil and put that in the freezer, and it actually stays a bit liquid. So you can spoon it out whenever you want a spoonful of it is a really good way of, of um, storing it in the freezer. But the thing 
what you mustn't do is um, mince it and put it in olive oil and just keep it in the fridge or on the shelf because you run the risk of botulism if you do that. Really? Yeah. People who make um, garlic in oil commercially, they acidify the liquid and the garlic first. Okay. So you need to not try and just put, you can put it into oil and use it within a few days, um, but you don't keep it for any length of time. Okay, so what's the longest you'd keep it? Maybe a couple of weeks? A few days. Oh, okay, gosh. Longer than that, yeah. Okay, interesting. And what's black garlic? <laughs> black garlic is slow-cooked garlic. So it is, um, you can, I when I make black garlic, I do it in a, in a rice cooker that you can just put on the warm setting so that it stays at under 60 degrees Celsius. Um, you you exclude the air from it and you put it in the rice cooker. But the thing is, you have to cook it really, really slowly. So you actually leave it in there for 30 days. So it's very slow cooked garlic. Some people would tell you it's fermented. It's not fermented at all. It is just very slow cooked. So in the same way as you brown gravies and things like that, by by cooking it, um, it's the Maillard reaction. Um, over time, the garlic turns, the flesh of the garlic turns brown, really dark brown, almost black. And it Is tastes, there a difference in flavour? Sorry, Amy. Absolutely. It tastes yeah. like a cross between balsamic vinegar and Vegemite. Oh, that sounds <laughs> like a good combo. So what would you use the black garlic in if you were oh, cooking you, something you with it? it? You can put it on toast if you'd really yep. savoury things. You can um, add it particularly to sauces. So this, it goes soft, so you can just stir it in to a, to a sauce. You can use it as a paste when you're roasting veggies or, you know, a whole range of different things. You can just eat them because they're delicious. <laughs> so, but it's totally different to fresh and, and cured garlic. Wonderful. Now, Penny, if it is the time to be uh, harvesting and curing garlic, and we, we were talking earlier in the week and you were mentioning it, this is one of the most important processes and steps in the growing of garlic. So could you maybe talk us through um, the harvesting and, and curing side of it? Okay, so down in Victoria, um, you should be harvesting your garlic between seven and eight months after you plant it. So once you get to the seven-month mark, it, it varies a little bit depending on what cultivar you're growing, and that's another whole really big story, um, cultivar and what group it belongs to. But once you get to the seven-month mark, you should be starting to look at it. So just pull the soil back from around it and see how big the bulb is, um, whether you can feel clove ridges within within the bulb or not. Um, if it's if it's at a, at a good size, then it may well be ready to harvest. But... The last two weeks of um, bulb swell is where most of the bulb swell happens. So don't harvest it. It won't harm it to harvest it any earlier, but you will just get smaller bulbs. So mm -hmm. sometimes, particularly with this warm weather, if you were thinking about harvesting fairly soon, with warm weather, we're going to get some days up in the 30s. That will be enough to really allow your garlic to put, um, to put nutrients into the bulbs, to get it swelling. Um, and then if you have a couple of quite hot days, um, it will create, the skins will um, tighten around the bulbs and that's about the time that you want to harvest it because you want to try and harvest it after having not watered and it hasn't rained for at least two or three days mm -hmm. if possible. Mm -hmm. 
look, sometimes you just have to harvest it no matter what because it needs to come out of the ground. The, if you leave it in the ground for too long, the skins start coming off um, and you won't have those protective skins around the bulbs that means you won't be able to store it. So it's still fine to use, but you won't be able to store it for any length of okay. time <clears throat> for a few weeks. So the, the reason for curing, once, once you've determined the bulbs are the right size, it's the right time to dig it out of the ground, dig them out so that, you're, um, that so they don't get damaged, get most of the dirt off, and you need to hang them or lie them on racks out of direct sunlight where there's really good air movement and where there's no ch chance of them getting wet. Mm -hmm. so, um, and you, if you leave the, the stems and the roots on, it, you really need to leave them until the stems and, and roots are completely dry. And that can be six or eight weeks for proper, proper curing. Mm -hmm. It's really humid and you're worried about fungal diseases, which can get into garlic um, or can be dormant in garlic until the right conditions come along. Um, you may want to cut the roots off because roots will wick water back, moisture in the air back to the bulb if it's if we're having really wet days in, in the spring. Um, and if you're still concerned, there's a lot of moisture in the green leaves. It's best to leave them on if you can, because all that nutrient goes back into the bulb. Your bulb tastes better and it actually looks better. And um, But if, if you're worried, take the actual leaves off leaving the stem. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and that will also help to for your bulbs to cure more quickly. Um, I hang mine. We have an, a two story house and an overhang. Actually, where I'm sitting at the moment, um, underneath me here is where I, where I hang my garlic. <laughs> and um, it's <laughs> completely under shelter, but it gets breezes from three different directions. So mm -hmm. um, it's the perfect spot Great. for curing garlic. And when it's cured, Penny, how long should it last? Because you mentioned that overseas garlic is sprayed with a um, germination right. inhibitor. And yeah. How long um, will our cured garlic last before they want to start sprouting? Okay, it depends on the um, cultivar and the group that it belongs to. So the, the big, um, lovely big bulbs that have purple stripy skin that you see a lot and that are, and have big cloves, they're in the turban garlic group mm -hmm. and it's a really popular group because of great flavours and all that sort of thing and the big size and the big size of the cloves, but they only store for four to five months. Mm -hmm. So, but if you grow some in the Creole or the silver skin group, they both have pure white skins. They're, they're smaller. Um, the Creole in particular, the cloves are sort of fit into the, into the head like a mandarin. Um, and they are often bright purple cloves. So it's like unwrapping a Christmas present when you pull the skins off those. <laughs> but they will store for more than 12 months. Okay. Oh, really? By growing some different cultivars from different groups, you will you end up with garlic that you can have all year round because they have different storage times. Wow. How many different sorts of garlics are there? We've probably got 300 different cultivars in Australia. Wow. that are really readily available and they fall into 11 groups which determine their sort of characteristics both flavors and um, storage and when they get planted and when they get harvested and that sort of thing and if someone is just wanting to experiment with garlic never grown it before what would be a couple of the easiest varieties um i'd go to your local farmer's market and buy some garlic from them because 
Um, it's one of the reasons why garlic growers are having a lot of problems with garlic in, because of climate change. Garlic grows clonally, like bulbs. It's a bulb. You need to grow it from cloves, mm -hmm. you, a garlic seed. Um, you can use some the bulbals of some of the, the top setting garlics, the um, ones that put up put up escape and then the umble up the top. Um, but they're clonal, so they adapt to the climate and the soil that they're being grown in. So the first year they, you mightn't do as well with them, but if you collect them, plant your best, you always plant your best and throw and eat the rest. Mm -hmm. um, you if you they adapt over over several years and you'll be getting much better garlics in two or three years or so go locally buy from your local um, farmers market or even organic grocery store mm -hmm. um, and um and and if you grow local garlic you're much more likely to be successful so whether it's whether it's an artichoke which are the just plain white ones that don't grow scapes or whether it's a turban or whether it's something like a Creole, um, try growing three different ones um, so that you get, yeah. You, and, and there's some really good small growers online too. So if you go to the Australian Garlic Industry Association website, you'll find growers all over Australia and particularly Victoria. And I would buy buy locally um, from Victoria if you can, for okay. Victorian or if you're in taste, Great buy advice. So, um, yeah, so the Australian Garlic website is garlicaustralia.asn.au. So ASN is for association. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that is good advice. And, and in a way that uh, really relates to any uh, fruit and veg in a way, doesn't it? If you um, experiment with different varieties, you'll often find particular varieties that suit your climatic conditions and suit your soil and end up growing really well. And also suit your palate. Yes, but, yes. You know, some, are, some of the creoles are some of the hottest of the garlics, but they may not have quite the depth of flavour. They've just got the heat and other creoles are not quite as hot, but they have this really long, long-lasting flavour. I, I actually judge garlic and we sometimes have to try about 70 different garlics. Garlics. <laughs> Um, you really see the the variation in in flavors, so it's um, it's well worth trying some of the different garlics from some of the different groups. And there's there's also my website website, which is AustralianGarlic.net.au, um, which just gives you an idea of what all the groups are and some of the cultivars within the groups. But I haven't updated it for a few years, so I sure. need to get and and my book on garlic i guess if you want to know about growing it but yeah when when you're tasting so what's the book it called? oh yeah go for it Sorry. what's oh, your yeah. book called garlic <laughs> okay. very cryptic and readily available or do people have to order that online or yeah. no um well i mean you can buy it from me online yep. but you, you should be able your bookshop should be able to get it into it is readily available okay and how many different ones do you grow um i've got about 25 in this year so wow. I, I try, um, I'm trying to refine it to the ones that I really want. I keep getting distracted yeah. by trying new ones. but <laughs> cause it's, I, it's the same with any plants, isn't it? How, yeah, how, how the new ones taste and stuff like Do that. you give yeah. garlic for Christmas presents? Uh, no. Oh. You, you know my address, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> I need my year's supply. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Hey, how do you taste them when you're doing the uh, trials? Is it um, just raw and you just have a nibble? We do it raw and roasted. 
is what we have been doing. It's been, it was cancelled for the last couple of years and I'm not sure if it's going ahead again this year or not because it was run by the, um, the Agricultural Society um, and we used to do it at the showgrounds. And, um, so it was part of the, their food awards, but garlic came at the sort of the wrong time of year for them. And I'm, I, have, I think that because I haven't heard anything that it's probably not going ahead, okay. but we might try and get another one going. Um, yeah, look, we, we judge them by the look of them, whether there's any sign of disease, the shape, the size, because we know, you know, what size they should be if they're well grown. Then we pull them apart and look at how many cloves and if they've started sprouting already and if they're cured properly. And then we cut them and actually eat them raw. But we don't swallow. Don't because <laughs> if you swallow that much. It's like wine tasting. The one day you end up with a really bad gut ache. Yeah. So, yeah. How, do you, how do you cleanse your palate in between each tasting? Um, we use blueberries and lemon sorbet ice cream. Hmm. Sounds like a very oh, good that's afternoon. Tough, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and apple sometimes as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Jane, and I think I think we might have to take up garlic tasting. Yeah. I, think, I think we might, yes. Because <laughs> you tend to get little bits caught in your mouth. Um, we also chew on bread occasionally just to try and get the, um, you know, little fragments out of your mouth so that you you're doing justice to the new the new garlic so fantastic yeah. all right I should remind 10 years and when we first started it I couldn't find anyone who had judged garlic um or had judged both you know the cooked and the and the yeah so it was interesting so you're a true expert well it certainly is <laughs> I guess all right, listeners, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm chatting with Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs and Penny Woodward. Um, if you would like to contribute to the conversation or ask a question, feel free to call through on 94190155 or text us on 0488 809 uh, Jane, I'd like to chat with you about uh, bulbs. Yes, get ready. But we've got a question that's come through from Paul. Uh, he said, I went to the Tonkins website, but I'm not a bulb expert and I found it difficult to navigate. I was looking for tough, hardy, unusual bulbs I can leave in the ground. Um, so he was just wondering um, what's going on for summer and autumn. And that actually was going to be one of our topics today, wasn't it? The autumn bulbs. It was on autumn bulbs and yeah. stuff. Um, it was Paul, was it? Yes, Paul. Yeah, sorry, Paul. Yeah, we're actually between catalogues at the moment. So there's actually sort of nothing that you can purchase. So that might be the little bit of hard navigating kind of thing. Um, yeah, AB and I were going to talk with Penny as well about about some autumn flowering, sort of more easy growing type of um, bulby things. Um, so probably if you're just beginning and you want an autumn flowering thing, I would suggest that you go with Amaryllis, which is your old-fashioned belladonna. So they call them naked ladies. Um, they're quite easy as in that you just put them in nice, full, sunny position and they just stay there all the time. So that would be a sort of perfect start for Paul if you wanted something that's a little bit hardier and easier to start with. And in that same family comes your Noreens, um, which are pretty much put in, leave and forget as well. And most of them take a full sunny position because they're from South Africa. 
Um, so that would be where I would suggest that he would start for autumn flowering things um, because they are exactly what he wants, hardy, leave in, set and forget type thing. Um, there is just a little bit of trick to getting Noreen's to flower and that's a dry summer rest. So um, last year we were talking about how wet summer was. Um, there wasn't as much um, flowers on our Noreen stocks that are out in the field and in the garden, um, but the ones that I've got under poly cover, uh, which I can withhold water from that way, flowered well, but the others didn't flower as well. So that dry rest from November, December is always a good thing. And then usually in Melbourne, we get about an inch of rain early January. Um, but last year we got considerably more, which is which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, so Noreen's and Belladonna's would be, Paul, would be a great way to start with something for the autumn. Um, if you want to be a little bit more adventurous and things, um, what they call autumn crocus, so colchicum. Mm -hmm. So they're actually in the colchiaceae family and they're native from um, the Mediterranean through Western Asia. Um, and there's lots and lots of different ones that you can try, but the most common one available here in Australia is cross Byzantinum. Um, and that would be what I would suggest that you start with. The reason why I'm mentioning those for Paul as well is that it's a thing that you can actually put on the, the kitchen bench and it'll flower without being planted. So it, it is easy. Um, and those flowers are followed by some beautiful glossy green foliage all the way through winter. Um, like, a, like most bulbous things, they then die down and come back the next year. And they're very much leave them in, don't do anything, um, just a bit of top dressing every now and then um, until your clumps are too big or you want to share with your neighbours and friends and things. So those are some good places for him to start. Yeah, so with the Belladonna lilies, I suppose I'm familiar with them because they uh, someone planted them in our garden uh, probably 50 years ago, who knows, a long, long time ago. And um, they just pop up and, the, the as you say, the, the flowers come up and then it's followed by the foliage. Is that the yeah. case with um, many autumn bulbs, um, I suppose, relative to spring bulb or you know, opposite yeah. to spring bulbs, the, the flowers come up first and then the foliage? A lot of them, yes, they do. So a lot of the, um, well, your, your naked ladies, then the nareens, there is a few that do flower with their foliage, but that's because the nareen season goes from the end of January right through till the end of May um, with the one they call winter cheer, mm -hmm. and that flowers with its foliage because it, it's the winter is when they're making their new roots and leaves and things. But predominantly in Noreen's, they will flower without their foliage. Mm -hmm. um, and same with your naked ladies. And exactly like with the colchicum, the autumn crocus that we were talking about before, um, they all do do that. And then there's the big, um, let's go with something a bit unusual, the Brunsvidia josephinae. So that's the candelabra lily from South Africa. And it looks like a big umbrella of these um, gorgeous, slightly reflexed um, florets on long pedestals. And it does look like an umbrella structure. And the reason for that is that when it sets seed, the stem breaks off and it then tumbles over the veld in South Africa and, and spreads that way. But um, it sort of has to be about the size of a Sharon football to flower. 
Um, but that's something that might be a little bit more for the people that are having success with Marines and Balladonnas and things to then look out for a Josephine Lily. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing how um, these things can flower without their foliage. Um, but the flowers made the year before. So the um, best time to buy them is in uh, early January through into the autumn. It might sound... A little bit silly but the actual active growth of the plant is through that winter and spring where it's making leaves and roots and things so best not disturbed then although the roots are quite fleshy they they will withstand moving if you have to um i tend to not like to dig things in the green ever so um so when do you plant autumn flowering bulbs do you plant them in january you plant them in the middle of summer Pretty, pretty much as soon as you receive them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the earliest I can start sort of selling is from early January onwards because the foliage is still drying back. And as like Penny with the garlic, all that goodness has got to go back in mm-hmm. to the bulb before you can dry it off and store it for sending to somebody. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you get autumn flowering stuff, you should put them in because it's that first um, rain or the first watering that you give it that um, breaks the dormancy and can promote your flower spikes. Oh, so they'll um, flower that autumn? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and as I said, with the, with the colchicum, like they, they look like a crocus, so but big crocus on steroids kind of thing. Um, if you just put it on your kitchen shelf, it will flower there. By itself? So, yeah, very wow. easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then do you have to replace the bulbs every year or you just keep them in the ground or keep them in the pot? No, yeah, um, all of these, so anything that I've mentioned this morning, so your belladonnas, nareens, colchicum, all grow in either the ground or a pot culture is perfectly okay for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're pretty much leave in and do nothing to them until you've got too many, um, like in a, in a pot, the pot's getting crowded, so you're maybe not getting the, the same amount of blooms as you have been for the last few years. Um, just remember that with pots, the nutrients leaks out a lot quicker than something that's planted in the ground. So you may need to top dress a little bit more than um, if you've got them planted in the ground. But all full sun position so far too on what we've been discussing. And just a general potting mix if you're growing them in pots? Yeah, just a, yep. yeah, um, just a regular potting mix. You yep. don't have to spend a lot of money on your good composty ones. Save those for your other woodlandy sort of gems and things. Um, makes it a lot easier. And what but size pot would we go for? Just say you one one belladonna um, bulb. One, one belladonna. You need to sort of go a. Um, I'm going in inches now, aren't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll try and convert. Like a, like a, a 15 centimetre pot, and it depends on which one you're buying, because um, and and where from. Because <laughs> sometimes. Um, you know, like my belladonnas are like the size of a large mango. Oh, okay. So you may need an eight-inch pot for that. <laughs> um, but they do flower from a lot smaller than that as well. Yeah, so, okay. Um, it just yeah, it depends on the size. And, and they actually don't mind being a little bit crowded. You will notice that um, sometimes in people's garden you can, you can actually see all the bulbs exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it, it's pushing themselves up out as they're making their little offsets and things. So that's about the time to, to dig and divide as well. Okay. Um, but 
they are relatively easy. And what about soil prep if you're putting them in the ground? Um, well, ballad, balladonnas will pretty much grow anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not meaning that they're weedy or anything. It's just that they're not terribly fussy. Um, just with heavy clays and things, um, maybe mix in some um, just regular potting mix or compost or something just to enrich it slightly and mm-hmm. give the roots a chance to get down into something. But um, most soil conditions, they and marines will grow in quite well. Okay. Okay. How many sorts of bulbs do you grow? Because mm. <laughs> I've been to your website and there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Um, I, I grow too many. <laughs> <laughs> too many. And I should mention for listeners that uh, your website, it's tonkinsbulbs.com.au. Yes. .com.au. Yep. Yes. And as I said before, and I apologise to Paul too, that um, there isn't actually anything up you can purchase, but there's a lot of things you can read about and learn. Um so our catalogue will come online early January. So if anybody wants to just send me an email um, and I can add them to the notification list. So it's sales at tonkinsbulbs.com.au. Um, and then we can um, go from there and then you'll get notification of when it actually goes live. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so sales at tonkinsbulbs.com.au. But, um I couldn't actually tell you how many different um, genre that I actually grow, but quite a lot. Quite a lot, yes, indeed. Yep. And and, and you, um, you took over the business from your dad, that's right? Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yep. And so would you say, like, is there any particular country which is a real star performer in terms of bulbs? Yes, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um. Because if you, you look at where South Africa is on the on the map compared to us, the, the climatic conditions are very, very similar to where we are in Victoria, where Adelaide sits and even Tasmania and up into New South Wales. We, we have this chance to grow these sort of things quite successfully. Yep. Um, so a lot of the spring flowering things at the moment, like I have a little morea in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yes, beautiful. Oh, wow, that is stunning. <laughs> Describe <laughs> so I, that for I, us. It's it's a pity that people actually can't see it. So the most common morea that um, people will know is Aristata. So it's often sold as a peacock iris because it's white with these blue, beautiful markings in the centre. But the one I'm holding up now is purple and has um, some velvety blue and orange central markings. And it's actually a cross between two species, so between Velosa and Atropunctata. I don't know whether we've got some little lines on the back too. So is that three petals? It looks like it's three three ruffled ruffled petals. And they're slightly ruffled. I'm not very good at this camera thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a morea, and they're very, very easy most of them and especially start with Aristata mm-hmm. um, and you might even find it under Peacock Iris but I'd prefer people sell um, it under a Morea. Um, Is it, how do you spell that? Lots of, M-O-R-A-E-A mm-hmm. um, and it's pretty simple as in the fact that you don't have to have any special potting mix and things just your regular normal potting mix but a lot of these iridaceae things do require a bit of garden lime, mm-hmm. which you can get at your local garden centre or um, big green shed, etc. So that's the iris I, family, yeah? 
Yes. Yep. So I use um, blood and bone as well. I just find that that's a great fertiliser for most of these sort of South African things as well. So garden lime and blood and bone. Um, so in the same sort of family is your gladiolus. Mm-hmm. So not not the big hybrid ones, but the species gladiolus. There's lots of those that are endemic to um, South Africa. And a lot of those sort of things are available in the summer when they're dormant as well. And you've got your ixias. There's a lot of um, people know ixias because mm-hmm. you can, there's a wide range of hybrid colours and things that look fabulous in people's gardens at the moment. Um, so those sort of things are relatively easy um, to start off with. Mm-hmm. So if you're just learning and getting into bulbs, um, perhaps people should probably start with growing them in a pot to begin with only because a lot of them can be tiny like things can flower from the size of a pea ab so um and people worry about losing them in the garden Mm. the other trick is that you can actually bury your pot and just leave the lip of the pot sticking out of the ground so you know where that has gone very clever (laughs) um so yeah it's not that they need to be in a pot it's just that you can then nurture and look after a, a bit better um snails and slugs always with bulbous things too so just be careful um i I just ask a quick question with the south african ones i know that in with other plants i always worry a bit about some of the africans because they can be so well adapted to our climate that they are weedy um are any of these bulbs have weedy potential um Possibly only Ferrarias, um, which are now, I think, in along roadsides and things in South Australia. Um, but there's a lot of different Ferrarias that you can grow that I kind of wish were weedy enough that I had enough to list, you know, <laughs> that it's taking me years to build up stock of, to put it plainly. Um, but, yes, some of them can be. But I haven't found any of the species ixias or gladiolus or anything like that to have any weedy potential um in my lifetime yet um but yes possibly ferrarias but not all of them yeah um which is often sad like when we talk oxalis you know um there's the weedy ones and then there's the ones that are Mm. that are fabulous and aren't weedy so yeah good question but um so far so good yeah. Okay. Because we have we have weedy freesias around here. Yeah. Yeah. The there's a lot of them. The freesias down the side of the road, going down the mountain and stuff too. Yes. But no, none of this sort of none of those. Thing. Ones. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, um, no Jane, there's a question from Mim from Collingwood. She would like to know uh, what bulbs are suitable for clay soil. Uh, had no luck with anything this year. Well, I would suggest that um, you try a belladonna or nerines. Mm-hmm. So if she can be patient and maybe just if she wants to send me an email, we can um, come up with some other things maybe for her too that might be a spring flowering, but we'll go with autumn flowering for today. Yeah, so your belladonnas and nerines uh, will do quite well in her clay soil. Um, but, yeah, it's very difficult for some of the the South African things as well, if it's heavy clay, mm-hmm. um, but nerines and belladonnas will be okay. 
Mm-hmm. And are there is there like a big variety of different belladonnas and marines? Well, there's they they range from sort of pure white through to what they call red, but it's really a really deep deep pink. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a lot of different hybrid ones out there um, or cultivars. So you know, should you, we list five at least. So some of the other companies might list more. Um. And, you know, Noreen's, you can get hundreds of different cultivars and um, there's quite a few species ones available in Australia as well. But there's some really hardy cultivars like Coral Queen Mm -hmm. would be one of my favourites because it is so floriferous and so reliable. Um, Even if we did have that little bit of a wet summer, Coral Queen still does her thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and beautiful. And they last quite a long time. Um, you know, you're getting sort of four or five weeks out of your Noreen in the garden, whereas a lot of bulbous things and, and that you might, if you go shopping, you might miss it opening. Um, and so, you know, the advantages of that are, are fed fantastic for her too so that's what I would suggest she tries yeah beautiful and I know uh, Australia is not really renowned for its bulbs but we certainly have uh, various forms like the vanilla lily and the chocolate lily and the bulbine yep. lily do you grow any Aussie natives um no I don't but yes there is a beautiful um wormbia as well that I would like to um Eventually, I would and calistemas and things. Mm. Um, eventually, I would like to do the bulbous side of Australian natives because I don't think that is being done and appreciated um, as much as what it could be. So there's some homework for me and more work. Thanks, AB. Yeah, at Karanga <laughs> at the moment we've got the calistema luteum, which is the cream flowering garland lily, and we've got the purpureum as well, which is the pink flowering one. And and they're just yep. really sweet little bulbs. Um, I've started experimenting with various bulbs, and um, yeah, I keep them in pots, and uh, they're doing their thing at the moment, and they're they're just uh, lovely to sort of have around. I keep them in pots, I suppose, just because they're a little bit more delicate looking I suppose yep. and um, they sort of could get lost in the garden a little bit and this way that I have them up higher and I can appreciate them. Yeah and that's a, that's similar to what I'm sort of saying about the the moreas and things of having it in a pot because they they look delicate even though they might not necessarily be um, delicate in their growing mm-hmm. um, and I think yes you can appreciate you know up close and personal too. Um, but how do you think the calistema would go in Mims clay, clay soil? Oh, that's a good question, actually. Um, I've only ever seen it growing in pots, of course, because I'm at yep. the nursery. Um, I, I think I think it would certainly need loosening and she mm. would um, add a bit of compost to it and just uh, change the structure of it a little bit, as you said, just to give mm. those um, the roots in, in the first couple of years especially a chance yeah. to really sort of um, work their way into the soil. Because that might in. be something that she could think of too be, because we don't know she might be into um, Australian natives more as well. So maybe that would be worth a try even. And I don't know where she lives, but Karanga's not too far out of Melbourne anyway. Yeah, Mims and Collingwood. Um, so it's it's a bit of a yep. drive, but it's definitely worth a trip. You go with an empty yes. tummy and go to the cafe. And yeah, cafe's every, open now. Yeah, yep. and, the, and the retail yep. shop's open. It's looking amazing. It's all Christmassy. Uh, yep. So, yeah, definitely definitely worth a trip. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm really enjoying ex- experimenting with the native bulbs. Right. And what about you, Jana? Is your place open to the public? Can people come and wander around and have a look or is it more mail order? Uh, we're predominantly mail order. Yep. I did um, have a little brain fade and started a retail nursery a couple of years <laughs> a ago. Brain fade, I like that. But um, <laughs> it, look, it's location, location, location. Yeah. And we're in the middle of nowhere. Mm. So very, very difficult to get passing traffic and things. So um, that idea didn't really work. But having said that, anyone's welcome to come and pick an order up in the summer, mm-hmm. um, saving on postage and things, and, and especially if they're coming up to the hills for the day yep. um, and come and have a wander a- around with me. That That's not a problem at all. But as in that we're open to sort of having pots and things for people to buy, not at this stage, no. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yep. Well, that's good to know. Uh, listeners, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm chatting with Jane Tonkin and Penny Woodward. Uh, Rosie from Blackburn has sent us a message. Uh, Hi, AB. Just love the show. I bought your beautiful book, Habitat, recently as a gift to myself and I'm absolutely delighted with it. Thank you for that, Rosie. And she goes on to say um, on on the ABC Gardening Show, she watched Costa using honey to help with propagation, um, which is something she's done for a long time and it works a dream. She's just wanting to know, is this to prevent fungal growth or does it improve rooting? Um, it's a bit of both, but it's mainly disease control. So because because honey honey has a sort of antibacterial property, mm-hmm. it, it stops the any the fungal and um, yeah. So I've, I use honey all the time. This is we're talking about cuttings here. Yeah. yeah. So if you're doing cuttings, if you can dip it into a honey solution, because um, I don't use rooting powder because it's not um, it's not organic. There's okay. No organic and honey's as organic as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> and is rooting powder? Uh, I have used it in the past, but I'm just wondering: is that antibacterial, or is it just all about stimulating that root growth? Stimulating the root growth. Yeah, so yeah. not not antibacterial. So that's so, Rosie. That's probably why you're having good success. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, Okie dokie. What else can we chat about? I know, Penny. We had a a list of things. Oh, we were going to talk about the um, transition farm. <laughs> Um, I've got it here in front of me, so <laughs> perfect timing. <laughs> I've, got it up. I've got it up on my iPad. Um, look, Transition Farm is a farm on the Mornington Peninsula who used to do um, um, boxed groceries for people would, you know, they'd come and pick their box up every week and then they started supplying restaurants more. But they, they found that they were... Um, they were struggling to get the seeds that gave them the really good crops that they wanted. And, and they're certified organic and certified biodynamic. So as far as I know, and I'm happy to be corrected, that there's only two or three certified organic seed suppliers in Australia. And I don't know any other um, seed supplier who is both certified organic and certified biodynamic. So, um, and this is what Transition Farm is now doing because they wanted to be able to, um, they they just found they couldn't get the seed that was right for them. So they started growing it themselves more and more for the produce that they were producing. And then they decided what they wanted to do to growing seed for everybody else who grows in organic 
biodynamic situations, which means low inputs mm -hmm. because we don't pour fertilizer into, you know, particularly not chemical fertilizer into our veggies. It also means we don't use pesticides so that the, the plants are much tougher that are grown from seeds that are produced on a, on a biodynamic organic farm. Um, and there's a whole range of benefits, um, and particularly if you're in Victoria, because these um, plants are being grown in a place where, where you're actually um, living. So they're adapted to your climate as well. Um, so they have they were only started business about three months ago, mm -hmm. and um, I'm just looking at their at their list, uh, and they have some fabulous fabulous things there, like you know five or six different sorts of capsicums. There's one called lively Italian orange, which I think sounds wonderful. Um, a couple of different carrots, um, a whole heap of different lettuces, things like. Um, Crispino and double density and flashy trout back and head cardinal and jadate, jester, joker, optima, um, really good range. Some lovely flowers as well. So they've got zinnias and scabiosas and um, uh, yeah, look, just some really, it's summer savory, which you don't see very often, which is a really, uh, I, lots of people grow the perennial winter savories and cretin savories and creeping savories, which are in the same family, uh, families as um, rosemary and thyme and um, those lavenders, so they're all in the Lamiaceae, um, but not enough people grow savory, but summer savory is an annual, mm -hmm. so you do need to plant it each year but it has a wonderful the reason it's called savory is it has this wonderful savory flavor to the leaf so <coughs> well worth well worth growing um so uh, lots of different tomatoes uh, although i'm seeing that a few of them have sold out um so obviously you know people are hearing about them and and buying from them um but five different zinnias which are which are beautiful so um that just I don't know if you've grown, if either of you have grown zinnias recently, you probably haven't, but if you want one flower that just looks amazing and um, keeps really well in the vase and looks beautiful in the garden, zinnias are, are well worth well worth growing. I so, know Judy uh, Horton wrote about them in the, um, was it the October? Might, might have been October or might have been uh, actually September issue of Gardening Australia magazine and, and I, I didn't really know much about them before then, but boy, they're super colourful. They're great, yeah. Really, really good range of colours. And they've got one of my favourite zucchinis too, Cocozelle, which is a really nice small zucchini and um, it's a it's a great flavour. So, um, yeah, not not a huge, huge range. Mm -hmm. in the, it's some of the bigger seed suppliers have, you know, massive ranges, but it's well worth having a look. So anyone who is looking to buy some seed, they've also got one, one of the lemon basils and lemon basil is beautiful if you've never tried it. So um, it's Mrs. Burns Lemon. Um, so, yeah, transitionfarm.com. Fantastic. Penny, you said that they'd only just started three months ago, as in the yeah. seed list or something. So you can't, we can't sort of expect that they'd have this massive range yet, but they will build on yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and it will be incredible. So the more people that support it, the better off yeah. um, exactly. as well. So yeah, and I think just do the do the um, address again. Transitionfarm.com. Yep, is is the is the website, and and they actually have a twenty percent off for seeds at the moment if you sign up for their newsletter. <laughs> so, 
twenty percent off is yeah. huge. So they're, great. They're a bit like Cheryl McGuffin that I was talking about before with Daniel's Run. The, these two people, are amazing gardeners. They're amazing small farmers. They really work long, long hours growing fabulous produce. Um, I wrote about them about five years ago when they were doing the, the produce boxes uh, and just stunned by the work that they've put into this soil and how they've developed this sandy rubbish soil into this amazing, um, full of microorganisms and you know, a terrific, terrific place. And um, growing some really interesting things and doing it all biodynamically and organically and um you know so it's just just looking at the list and the pictures that go with with um all the different things that they have sale is is just makes you feel happy because they all look so healthy and wonderful <laughs> and i think like growing produce is one thing especially growing produce for the home garden but then it takes it up another level when you're growing hot produce to sell um, as you're saying with your uh, tomato yep. lady down there to, who um, supplies various restaurants but then to even take it that next step further to be growing for seed like that's a yep. good level of commitment yeah because it takes so much longer the plants have to be in the ground you know and some of them if you're looking at cabbages and things like that they have to be in the ground for more than 12 months because they have to have time to develop properly and then put up their seed heads and you've got to wait for the seed to form and so the whole thing takes that much longer. And it, it's why um, it, Australia actually buys most of their seed in from overseas. So um, I'm finding more and more that seed small seed sellers are growing their own seed. So Seed Freaks in Tassie has been doing it and Tasmanian um, garlic and tomato does it with tomatoes and are now branching out into a few other, other seed as well. So there's, there's, there are growers who are also growing their, who are actually growing and producing their own seed, not just importing it from overseas. So you need to, if you're looking at buying seed, no matter where you're buying, you need to read about where their seed comes from. And they should tell you if they, whether they're growing it or not. Um, so if they don't tell you, then you can probably assume that they're not growing it themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, good tips. Good tips for growing good crops. Um, Jane, these two are more relevant from you. First of all, from our good friend uh, Roger. So first of all, g'day, Roger. Um, he was mentioning it might help listeners if you could mention, Jane, what you meant by top dressing. Oh, sorry. Um, that's just when your plants have gone dormant, so let, let's say we were talking about nerines and um, belladonnas, etc. So about this time of the year, top dressing, I mean just by putting some fertiliser on the top. Now you can either use a sort of three-month slow release for those or sprinkle some blood and bone around depending on what your neighbours might feel about that um, or any of the other organic type of um, fertilisers uh, or perfect and they don't require a lot but that's what I refer to as top dressing and at this time of the year with your daffodils going down so they're starting to go um, a little bit yellow and and brown once they've gone down completely you can just pull all that um, off as well and you can give your daffodils a little feed daffodils don't need a lot of food either mm -hmm. so um, just a little bit on the top that's what I mean just a general clean up and and give them a little bit of extra food to continue on. Okay. Um, 
can I can I ask a quick quick question? Yep. Jane? My all my um, jungles at the moment have masses of leaves, no flowers. It's all finished. Um, they're lying all over other plants that are starting to try and come up around them. What can I do with those? Because I know you're supposed to leave them all until they um, the leaves die and it's all absorbed back into the bulb. Yep. Um, is there something that I can do to at least tidy them up, stop them um, swamping? I would I would prefer that you leave it till they all go brown but it, uh, look I don't know is there is it possible to get some hay band and tie them up a little bit so that they're not in impinging on the the plants that are coming around them it's just that that goodness does go back in to make your flowers for next year and things too so um possibly you could cut half of it off and leave half of the leaves but that's a bit of a task to sort of grab hold of your whole daffodil yeah. clump and and cut but if if it is encroaching too much on other plants around it at the end of the day you're never going to hear me say this again it is only a jonquil so <laughs> yeah okay yeah no, um, do, do, you, do you know what i mean like yeah. if if yeah. the plants around it are, are far more important to you at the end of the day your jonquil's not going to die if you cut it off now okay okay <laughs> And if I wanted to, because really my clumps have got too big, can I come up now and put them out the front and put a sign on them and tell people that these are jonquils, take them home and plant them, or do I have to wait till they've actually died back to do that? Free to good home. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you could dig them now. I would prefer you sort of wait till another month. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to kill them at all, Penny, if you do it now um, and stick them out on the... And just tell them to plant them now. Yeah, because otherwise people buy stuff... They put it in the shed and they forget about it. Yeah. Um, so it's better off in the ground doing its thing. And with jonquils and daffodils, they just do their own thing. Um, yeah. So if anyone knows where Penny is or whatever, <laughs> there's going to be some free jonquils out on the street in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Hey, Jane, how many um, autumn flower and I obviously don't want an exact number here but compared to spring flowering bulbs which is the most spring flowering bulbs or autumn flowering bulbs spring 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 okay. there's a lot more of mm -hmm. um well certainly in what I grow too but but I tr truly believe that there is a, a vast difference between um autumn and spring flowering bulbs um which makes those autumn ones even better you can get some autumn flowering crocus like true crocus corms um let me think something like crocus gloomii um now you've put me on the spot eh, um <laughs> anyway but there's a lot more spring flowering crocus but there are autumn ones and ones that flower through the winter like thomasinianus and things um but there's not as many of those um, available in Australia and it's not because that they're incredibly rare or hard to grow it's just that we don't have a lot of suppliers of true little crocus um, and as Penny was saying before with the imported garlic and stuff it's the, it's the same goes for imported bulbs um, and things as well because they do get um, treated with the methyl bromide as well and if it's coming from Europe, they get treated with hot water mm. um, dipping as well. Mm. And it tends to really be detrimental to a lot of the bulbs. They may flower for the first season and then after that 
gone. Plus they're plus they're out of season when they get here too. So um, I agree with with Penny on let's try and buy Australian grown, mm. whether it you know be non-indigenous but um but australian grown if we can because it um people say well i'm I'm not trying them anymore they just die so um it makes it very hard um to try and explain to people that yeah this is why because the the treatment that's coming and i can fully understand and support you know our um border security as such of the because we don't want the pests and diseases Mm, and stuff here either but um, I just don't see the point of um, buying tulips that have been treated with methyl bromide as opposed to buying tulips from somebody that's grown them here. Yeah, makes total sense. Somebody has texted in saying, and this again is for you, Jane, I have a gloriosa lily in a pot and it's starting to show. What can I feed it? Okay. Um, perfect timing for your gloriosa to be coming through. Um, I would be suggesting that you use one of the liquid feeds. So any of the power feeds, whatever, I won't name brands kind of thing, Um, but any of those liquid fertilisers and just follow the instructions on the back. Um, I think it's generally 60 mils to your 9-litre watering can, but you won't need that much for your pot. Um, And depending whether you've got your pot under the eaves protected as such, you might need to water it um, probably once a week at this stage. But if it's out in the garden with whatever rain we're getting at the moment, that is um, going to be enough for your Gloriosa. Just watch the snails and slugs. Even though Gloriosa lilies are toxic, um, snails and slugs still seem to like them. And depending on where you are, late frost. So if you're somewhere where, and we have been getting some late frosts, um, if it's where you where you're frosty, cut a milk container off, stick it over just for the night, um, and that'll protect the tip from being burnt. Very good. But because um, I think there was a gentleman last week. I think it was Robert rang in and he wanted to know whether you could grow Gloriosa in the ground or it had to be in a pot. Mm-hmm. Um, my advice there is that I would suggest that it's better in a pot only because gloriosas are very famous for pulling themselves down into the soil. So, you know, people go, oh, I've lost my gloriosa. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's gone down a foot. Okay. Um, so <laughs> you can maintain your gloriosa lily a little bit better if it is in a pot, but they do fine in a well-drained spot in the garden as well if Robert's listening today. Um, not a problem at all. He just might have trouble finding it again if he wants to shift it. It will still come up the next year. Yep. But if he ever wants to shift it to somewhere else, he might have trouble. Okay, okay. Good to know. Hey, look, I just want to quickly mention, um, Doug, our producer, has just uh, said that the open garden passes for the Yarra Valley Gardens have gone, um, but there's still passes available for the two Gippsland Gardens. Uh, So that was um, both in Mafra. Uh, So if you're sort of in that area or feel like a bit of a road trip, um, there was the uh, Glenmore Garden and the Homely Garden. Uh, So they are, um, there's, yeah, two lots of tickets available for them. And um, just in relation to the open gardens, uh, Kim has asked, need help with all the gardens open and on the same days, how do I pick which one to go to? (laughs) 
<laughs> Difficult choice indeed, Kim. I, I would sort of narrow it down by um, hop online to the Open Gardens website and to the Rotary, um, Rotary Yay website and just have a look at the types of plants that are there. <laughs> and they often describe their gardens and um, any of that inspire you or that you're trying to maybe emulate or get inspiration for your own garden. That's, that's how I choose when I'm going to Open Gardens. Um, okay, Penny, question for you. Uh, rust on garlic leaves. If I get new bulbs for next year, will it happen again? Sounds like this person has had that problem already. Okay. So, look, rust is, is a common problem with garlic. Um, it, it is you can um, slow it down from happening by using an organic um, copper spray, so a copper hydroxide spray. Um, you can also use a potassium antifungal spray, which will stop it from spreading, but won't kill what you've actually got. Or you can remove the worst of the leaves that are affected to try and stop it from spreading to other plants. And really, you're, you, usually when you get rust, you're pretty close to harvest. So um, with luck, you will still get your decent bulbs unless it's really bad. Rust varies dramatically from year to year. So um, we've had a couple of bad rust years because of the moisture and then the warmth while the, while the soil is still really wet. Um, it, that combination is when you get rust in, in spring on garlic. If you've got it in the soil, you will get it the following year, no matter what you plant there. So you need to work on a two to three year rotation, um, four years if you can do it. Some years I only grow garlic in, in um, potting mix in grow bags because I just want to give all my soil. I don't have a huge garden. I want to give my soil a rest. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and rust can carry over on your clothes into the following year. But if you, if you um, soak them in potassium, in um, one of the potassium soap type sprays, um, that will, the cloves, just overnight before you plant them out, that should kill the rust. Mm, clever. So that was, that's a fairly um, quick answer. But, but yeah, look, it's, an in, it's a pretty endemic problem. So don't panic if you see it. Um, I've just at this stage, I've just because mine are not as advanced um, as I had hoped they would be by now. Um, I've removed the worst affected leaves. Um, and we'll see what happens as the weather warms up and we get some decent hot, dry weather. Um, they should be fine. Okay, good to know. And Lee has uh, rung in and she'd like to know the name of the seed seller again, Penny. Transition Farm. So T-R-A-N-S-I-T-I-O-N, Transition Transition Farm. And that, um, was, that was dot com, wasn't it? Yeah, dot com. Cool, cool, cool. Um, oh, I can't believe we are coming towards the end of the show. Um, so, listeners, you've been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I've been chatting with Penny Woodward and Jane Tonkin. We've got um, a few minutes to go. So is there anything um, particular that you guys are getting up to today or in, in the coming week in terms of the garden? I'm planting tomatoes. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> So I've and got any different ones, Betty. I've got oh yeah, very different ones. Yeah. Um, I've got some fabulous some fabulous seedlings, um, and I decided this year because we struggled last year with the extra cold. I decided this year to do the Melbourne thing and plant them on Melbourne Cup Day. So that's what I'm doing on Tuesday. On Tuesday, planting my seedlings, and I'm just going to see what what difference it makes because I usually put them in earlier 
but the soil's still really, it has been really it's cold. cold. Yes. Um, so if you think your soil is still cold, then leave them another another weather. But, um, yeah, I'm putting my tomatoes out in the next couple of days because we've got some hot weather coming up. How big are they? So that should be good. Um, some of them are 30 centimetres tall. Mm. Oh. I'm them on into bigger pots. Um, some of them are a bit smaller and stragglier because I planted the seed later, but I, I'm probably transferring those into bigger pots and I'll put them in a bit later. Okay. But yeah, plant them big and plant them deep. And have you hardened them off? Not quite yet. Not yet? Yeah. Yep. They've, been, they've been out for the last two or three days, but I've been a bit cautious just because of the really cold overnight temperatures. So, yeah. Mm. And what about yourself, Jane? Any special plans for today? Going back to bed? I see you're not in your pajamas, which was really good. We did have that no, discussion. No, I, got, I got dressed. Yeah. You got dressed. Um, no, just repotting some things. Um, little cyclamen, actually. It's slightly early, but my whole of my November is picking um, peony roses. So um, I, I need to be a little bit more organised, otherwise I never get the cyclamen done in time. So um, that's my job today, and it's a beautiful sunny day outside by the look of things. So um, so peony I'm roses to, to sell? There. Yes, so sell to um, florist trade. Um, that that helps boost my bulb business. Oh, I thought you were going to say it helps boost your endorphins. I was going to say it would boost my endorphins too, being around peonies. Um, yeah, the, the first day of picking is okay, AB, and then yep. up and down those hills after a few days, yeah, your endorphins probably won't be happy yeah, with Yeah, wearing off, wearing off. <laughs> hey, guys, look, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to talk to Penny Woodward and Jane Tonkin, so uh, really appreciate your time. And thanks so much to Doug, our producer, who's waving from the other studio. Uh, you've been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, so until next week, bye-bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.